Hello, this is Technology Corner for the week of June 6th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn. You know, I've talked about Firefox a number of times. It still is my favorite browser, even though I sometimes have to use Internet Explorer for some things. And even though I admire a lot of what Opera has done, I still keep coming back to Firefox. And one of the reasons that I keep coming back to Firefox is simply the number of extensions available for the program. I've got a, a bunch of, essentially for me, must-have extensions that if the browser doesn't do some of these things, I really miss them all talk about some of those but the the neat thing about firefox is anybody can write an extension for it and a lot of people have uh, in fact when i started doing the i hadn't i guess i hadn't looked at the uh, the the extensions folder for a while and i was going to say there are several hundred extensions out there well that would be right but it's actually almost 1600 extensions now which is a little bit more than just several hundred 1,594 extensions as of Saturday morning, the uh, 3rd of June, and they just keep growing. Some of the ones that I use, the the ones that I just absolutely have to have, and, and they change from place to place. I have certain extensions that are uh, that I have installed at the office. I have some that are installed at home, and in each location, there are different extensions installed. In some cases, I don't have uh, all the extensions installed, for example, on a notebook computer that I'd have uh, for either the home machine or the office machine. But some of the things that, that I look for that I, I really want to have in, in the browser, there's the, uh, actually this gets installed automatically if you tell it you are a developer uh, when you install Firefox, the Document Object Manager is a very handy tool to have. It lets you take a look at the the way an HTML document, a website, is constructed. Uh, that's handy just for seeing how somebody has done something, but it's absolutely essential if you're doing your own development. There's also the uh, the feedback tool that's there so that when... Uh, when Firefox crashes, and yes, it does crash, uh, when it crashes, it will send feedback back to the Mozilla organization so that they can look into what the problem is. So that one's a kind of a good one to have installed also. One that I really love, Adblock Plus. This one lets me remove ads on a case-by-case -case basis, a site-by-site basis, so that I'm not bothered by the things that pop up, spin around, or do other things that I don't want to have going on when I'm trying to read something. One that I have installed that I hardly ever use, but it's just kind of fun to know that it's there, is called LeapKey that uh, transforms what you type into something that it looks like a 13-year-old script kitty typed it. Uh, the thing that it does do that uh, is occasionally useful uh, is it'll handle ROT13 encoding. ROT13 is, is simply encoding that rotates a character 13 letters down in the alphabet, and it has been used traditionally uh, in the early days of the Internet if someone's going to type something that they thought that they thought might be offensive to someone, they would use the ROT13 encoding, which anybody could very quickly and easily decode. But if you didn't want to be offended, uh, the understanding was you would just not decode it and you would just not read it. So that's available. Another one I use for uh, uh, actually for debugging things. There's a JavaScript console that uh, lets me keep an eye on what JavaScript uh, is doing. 
there's an HTML validator that works on the World Wide Web Consortium's HTML Tidy uh, Analyzer. Uh, this is pretty handy if you've got if you've written HTML and you want to make sure that it's good, valid HTML. Run it through this, and it'll come back with information about what you've done wrong and some suggestions on how to fix it so that the HTML will be valid. Of course, there are still a lot of browsers. In fact, most of them will still properly display invalid HTML, but it's a lot better to do things the right way, just because it's a good thing to do things the right way, but also because eventually uh, the HTML specification will be such that if your HTML is invalid, uh, it will not display properly in some of the forthcoming browsers. That may be a while coming, though. Maybe not in my lifetime. Another fun one, and uh, one that's kind of useful, is called Colorzilla. It lets you, uh, if you see a color you like on the screen or you just wonder what that color is, it's very easy to use Colorzilla and have it tell you exactly what that color is. Here's one I think everybody needs a copy of. It's called Copy Plain Text. Maybe you've wanted some text from a website. You grab the text, you select it, you copy it, you paste it into Word, and it comes in with all the formatting. And then you have to go through and take away all the formatting. Well, if you have Copy Plain Text, it'll copy just the text. There's another way to do that, and before this little plug-in became available, what I would do previously would be copy the text, paste it into a text editor, for example, UltraEdit, which is the uh, the one that I use most of the time, paste it in there, it would uh, automatically lose all of its formatting, and then I could paste it into another program. The problem with that is it's a two-step process. With copy plain text, it's a one-step thing. And we did an entire program on stumble upon it's this is either the most fantastic example of serendipity that i've ever seen or the greatest time waster ever invented or maybe both you'll probably enjoy it if you like it but it will take your time uh and it, it uh if you're interested in the stumble upon program just check the website and uh, you'll see what that's all about but that one's a lot of fun google Okay, Google's got a really great search engine, but the company seems to have a little bit of an ethical problem when they accept advertising. A lot of the advertising that pops up on Google, particularly if you're looking for any kind of product, offers you a free this or a free that. And when you follow it, it sort of looks like maybe you're going to get it for free, but you've got to jump through an awful lot of hoops, and some of those hoops involve spending money and probably a lot more money than you'd spend if you just went out and bought whatever it was that's supposed to be free. They're probably not illegal. In fact, I'm certain they're not illegal. But they certainly seem to be a little bit shady. So although Google has a great search engine, I'd like to use Customize Google. That's the extension that you can get for Firefox. Customize Google that lets you control Google. If you don't want to see those ads, you can turn them off. Now, sometimes I do want to see an ad. If I'm actually looking for a product, uh, there are times that I want those ads, want the ads to show up because there'll be ads from people who sell that product, not people who are offering to give it away and then try to take you to the cleaners on some other stuff. But you can control exactly what Google does, and it also gives you an option right at the top of the screen to run additional searches. You've run a search on Google, you can click uh, a link at the top of the page and run that same search on most of the other search engines that are out there. So that's a pretty handy feature.
Forecast Fox is handy. It just sits at the bottom of the browser and gives me an idea of what the immediate weather conditions are. If there's an alert or a warning, it pops up very quickly. UI Tweaker. This is kind of handy if you want to change Firefox's toolbar or some of the other aspects of the program. Uh, probably not something that a lot of people would, would like to use, but if you like to tinker with the browser itself, Firefox gives you that ability through this UI Tweaker add-in. And if you encounter a website that has a lot of images that you want to download, there's uh, an extension called Down Them All. That's just what you're looking for. Uh, it'll download all of the images that it finds on that particular website. Now, I've occasionally run across a websites where they have a lot of pictures of cats, and perhaps, as you know from listening to me, I like cats, so I download all the kitty pictures. And by the way, Firefox is generally considered to be safer than Microsoft's Internet Explorer, generally considered to be so but you know you can't expect any piece of software written by humans and as far as i know humans are still writing most of this stuff you can't expect anything to be perfect there are still flaws in fact there were some announced just this week flaws that affect uh, all of the mozilla products so if you're if you go to firefox because you think it's safe you're you're fooling yourself it's perhaps safer than Internet Explorer in most cases, and part of that's because it's a still a smaller target, uh, but it's not absolutely safe. One of the things that you might want to consider doing is turn off JavaScript. The problem with turning off JavaScript is then there are websites with a lot of things that don't work. The Technology Corner website, for example, won't work properly if JavaScript is turned off. Here's a cool extension. It's called NoScript, and this allows you to turn JavaScript off or on on a site-by-site -site basis. And there are a lot of sites out there that have JavaScript installed from multiple sites. They may have a website counter of some sort installed that actually comes from some other domain, and you can turn that on or off. You can turn on or off the, the JavaScript for the individual site, and this increases the safety of Firefox, which is already a safe browser. So those are just the ones that I use. And as I said, there are lots of them out there, 1,600 almost, 1,594 of them. And those extensions are, if not the main reason, certainly a big reason why I keep coming back to Firefox. Moving along, let's take a look at customer support. Now, this is hardly a high-tech issue, but it at least involves a high-tech company, so uh, we'll bring it in under, under the guise of uh, being about a high-tech company. I grumble from time to time about tech support, and, and you have to wonder if some companies are actually succeeding in spite of themselves. You look at the cellular business. Churn is endemic. And what, what is meant by churn is you're with this company today, you're coming up to the end of the contract, some other company offers you a better deal, so you leave whatever company you're with, you go to the other company, a year later you go to another company. The cellular folks just continually lose and gain customers from each other. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that it seems like there would be a better way to do things and maybe a better way to earn some loyalty. What what a lot of the companies are doing, uh, and I just ran into this with the cellular uh, firm that, that I use, which is T-Mobile, is I wanted to add a line to that, and what we ended up doing was extending the contract for two years. We want to get out of the contract. We now have three phones on the line. It'll cost $600 to get out of the contract before two years end. This is not a good way to get customer loyalty. You can get servitude that way, and you know, chances are there's... 
uh, they'd have to do something really, really bad to get me to pony up 600 bucks just to go away. What I wanted to do, and this, this was just such a bizarre story, uh, we wanted to add a third line to the family plan, and one of the telephones that we already had on the plan was eligible for a free upgrade. This seemed like a fairly simple solution. I called the T-Mobile people, said, listen, we've got one phone that's available for a free upgrade. Can I get that? And then at the same time, can I add the third line to the family plan and use that phone? The person I spoke to said, yeah, sure, that's not a problem. I've added the information to your record. Uh, all you got to do is pick out the phone and call back. So I picked out the phone, called back, ordered the phone, The person I spoke with told me that I had to talk to the activations department, so she transferred me to the activations department. The activations folks said, no, we can't do anything for you until you get the phone, because you need the SIM card that's in the phone. And at at this point, I knew the phone that was coming was going to be an upgrade phone, probably wouldn't have a SIM card. I explained that, uh, asked if the phone would have a SIM card, and was told, yep, it'll have a SIM card. Well, of course, when the phone arrived three or four days later, it did not have a SIM card. I called T-Mobile again and talked to the people in activations, and they said, yeah, of course it didn't come with an up, with a SIM card. It's an upgrade phone. You get this kind of odd feeling of deja vu when you're talking to these folks. Took several uh, additional calls and additional go-arounds. Finally convinced them that they really needed to send me a SIM card. They said they'd do that. They'd charge me nineteen ninety-five to do it, and then they'd refund the, the, the fee later. Wouldn't it make more sense to just send a card Rather than send a card, charge the customer, then refund the charge later. I mean, that seems like an awful lot of work for people. Last you think all I do is complain. Last week, I also uh, checked on my quality paperback book club account. Now, books are decidedly low-tech, but they do have a website, and you can order books from uh, QPBC uh, on their website. I had missed one of their mailings somehow, and they'd sent me some books that I did not want. I returned the book, and I was checking the website just to make sure that uh, the, the credit had been applied once they got the books back. Indeed, it had, uh, but then I discovered, oh, I missed another card somehow, and they've got other books on the way to me. So I sent a message via the website and asked, is there any way to change the account so that books are not automatically shipped? I mentioned that another order had slipped through and that I'll have to return it and pointed out to them that this costs you money and it annoys me. Three hours later, I got a response. Just three hours later. That's pretty good response. Uh, and then the, even better, the response I got not only indicated the person had read what I had written, but she understood it. Good old Megan192 said that, effective immediately, your account has been placed under a new service plan. Under this plan, you will not be sent automatic shipments. You'll continue to receive the club mailings. However, you no longer have to return the reply form in order to refuse the main selections. So that exactly addressed my concerns, told me the problem's been solved exactly as I requested it. Megan then went on to tell me that when I do wish to place an order, I simply have to fill out the reply form and send it back, or I can do it on the website. Uh, she then thanked me for letting them know that they're that I'm returning a shipment and that the charges will be reversed as soon as they receive the books back. Well, I kind of knew that, but you know, it was handy that she mentioned that. And I'm sure this was a form letter. And that was pretty much it. Nothing about wanting to meet or exceed my expectations. Nothing about hoping that I've addressed all of your questions and concerns. No talk about world-class customer service. That's the kind of thing that if you're doing it right, you don't have to tell people. Just answer the customer's question, resolve the problem, and then stop. Quality Paperback Book Club understands that. I'm not so sure about most of the mobile telephone companies, though.
Time now for Nerdly News. And I have to wonder if my fingers are small enough to use this computer. You know, I started seeing computers that were about the size of a deck of cards, oh, maybe two or three years ago. At that time, they were mainly prototypes. Nothing was uh, out in production. Some of the prototypes worked. Sometimes you picked one up and it failed. Uh, Most of the times, uh, the people showing them would not let you pick them up. I do remember seeing one, again, something about the size of a deck of cards, had some connectors on it. There was a keyboard plugged in. There was a large monitor plugged in. So you had this thing about the size of a deck of cards plugged into these huge peripherals. It did have, however, a small LCD screen built in, and there was a soft keyboard that appeared on the screen, so you could use that. I I think it required a stylus to do it. Interesting idea, but that technology just wasn't quite ready to go beyond trade shows. Well, now Sony has the UX Micro. It's going to be in stores by the end of summer, probably uh, sometime in July, maybe even toward the end of June. Uh, If you have to have a keyboard and a mouse, or if you have big fingers, this is probably not going to be a big a good choice for you, but if portability is the key thing for you, you need to be able to carry your entire computer in essentially a a big pocket. Uh, this is what you're going to want. It's about eighteen hundred dollars. The uh, UX Micro has an Intel Core Solo Ultra Low Voltage Processor. Boy, is that a mouthful! Intel Core Solo Ultra Low Voltage Processor. That's what's inside. Uh, With that, you're going to get near desktop performance. The package weighs about 20 ounces. Now, I remember when portable computers weighed 20 pounds, and there was a big suitcase handle on the top. The suitcase handle was bigger than this UX Micro. Runs Windows XP Pro, has a 4.5-inch touch screen, and then there's also a a fold-out keyboard that uh, handles text entry if you want to do it that way. There is built-in Wi-Fi. There is a catch with the built-in Wi-Fi. Works only with Singular's cellular network. Sony also has a fingerprint scanner. You can use that to secure passwords and data. And, of course, there is a built-in camera. Of course there's a built-in camera. What would you expect? It's Sony. 1.3 megapixel camera built in with the lens on the back. Oh, and, of course, there is another camera that's on the front. Uh, This is uh, for those who want to run video conference calls through here. Inside, 30-gigabyte hard drive. Battery power, well, you're going to get about enough for about a third of a transcontinental flight. About two and a half, maybe, if you're lucky, three hours. But probably not that. Probably more in the the two- to two-and-a-half-hour range. What else happened this week? Well, Internet service providers met in New York City with the Department of Justice. They met to talk about ways they can cooperate to identify people who use the Internet. That starts bells ringing for privacy privacy experts. The stated purpose, to find a way to track down people who trade in child pornography or those who are suspected of being terrorists. Of course, technology like that can be used against anybody else. There have to be some provisions put in place to uh, keep that from happening. One approach that uh, they're talking about reportedly would just uh, avoid legislation by having the Internet service providers keep records for longer periods of time. Most ISPs right now, if you connect to an ISP, you get an IP address. They keep track of who you are and link you to that IP address at that particular time. This is the way that uh, they'll, they'll catch and have caught in the past child pornographers. You find the IP address and you find the... Uh, who had that IP address at that time. But right now there is no real standard period for which those records are kept. What the Department of Justice is talking about is keeping that information for two years, maybe longer. Uh, right now that it varies from one ISP to another. 
So the companies generally work with law enforcement investigators now, but we'll see how this plays out in the future. And that's it. Thanks for listening. This has been Technology Corner for the week of June 4th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn.